appreciate that. Actually known as Jana, we appreciate them. Take, if you will, your Bibles this morning. Find 1 John chapter number 5. 1 John chapter number 5 in your Bibles this morning. Find that place, if you will, as we look to the Word of God. Good to have the Rivera family back with us, all healthy. and Amen. We've missed you guys. I think the, uh, what's their names, the uh, Navarra's family's taking the week off here, too. They're they must have some illnesses going on. I have Alicia text me. She usually watches these things. And uh, so hope they're fine and uh, doing well there. Pray for our ladies who are expecting. Lise and Sarah, let's see who goes first. What's Miss Alicia's due date, Josh? 17th? They're both the 17th. Wow. So this is, uh, all right. Well, we'll see what happens here. Was that? First, yeah. <laughs> Let's see what, it's exciting times. First John chapter number five, find that place and we're near the back of your Bible. And uh, we want to start reading this morning. And uh, see what John has to say here concerning as he's closing out his letter. Verse number 13, 513. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petition that we desired of him. If any man see his brother's sin, a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them. That sin, not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that ye shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that the Son of God has come, and he hath given unto us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Amen. Father, bless the time, bless the hour now as we look to the Word of God. Bless again the boys and girls downstairs and the children next door. Bless those who labor to teach and to work with them. And Lord, may the Spirit of God have His perfect will and way in those services and help these children and to love you and to want to serve you. Speak to our hearts here in this service, dear God. You know every single person. You know us all by name. And nothing is hidden from you. So help us, Lord, in our hearts to be open, to be receptive to truth that we may humble ourselves and want the Spirit of God to, to help us, to challenge us, to convict us, and to conform us to the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray, dear God, for those who hurt today, those who have great needs, that you'll bless them and help them. I pray, dear God, for the one whose heart is broken, that you'll encourage them this hour. And if anybody here today is not saved, Father, help them to understand the gospel and be saved. Bless those who are home who are ill and unable to make it to church today, Lord. Give healing and strength back to their body and watch over them. And thank you for those, Lord, who are able to come back who uh, were under the weather, but now, Lord, have, are restored and, and be able to be here. Bless now our time and meet our needs, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, John wrote this epistle to provide his re readers about the certainty of God and the salvation that God has provided. The word know, K-N-O-W, is found over some 36 times in this little letter. And God is trying to let us know that there are things that we can and should know as facts. These are truths that we can hold on to. John's formal argument as he's writing this letter really ends in verse number 12. It's a good verse, and we've looked at it, touched it briefly, where he says, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. 
Verses 13 through 21 are what we would call a postscript. John is concluding some remarks here. They're not a, 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 a collection of random thoughts, but instead what he's doing here as he finishes out this letter, he is bringing out the main truths and trying to reemphasize what he has already said and to remind the readers, the church, uh, of what they need to be encouraged with. John is warning again through this letter about phony believers, about false Christians who have a false Christ, and the importance of having a true faith in the true God, and to make sure that you have the salvation through Him. And he's trying to give the, the believer here a, a strong confidence. Oftentimes in life we may have our confidence shaken in something. Oftentimes you may know a job and have your job and, and be very skillful in it, but let a few things go wrong on that job and what you've done a hundred times all of a sudden is not working. You may begin to question yourself and, and think, am I doing this right? Am I messing up? But, and have your confidence shaken in something. Well, God, again, in this letter is trying to re help the Christian and, 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 and strengthen the confidence that they can have in him. Now, John's going to focus on five things, and it's my plan today to get through these five things, these five truths that we can be sure of. The first truth that we need to be sure of, and it's a truth, is eternal life. Verse number 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Again, this phrase, these things, as he says there, these things... Go back to what I just wrote to you. Everything I just said to you in the previous five chapters now is evidence that, again, and I want you to consider what I've told you. It's also important to understand that he has given us the written word of God and that the Christian should put confidence in the written word of God and to know what has been preserved for us is still true and still right. That although it's 2,000 years old, these truths do not change. And that's the wonderful thing about biblical truth. It doesn't change. And, and truth is not your truth or my truth. Truth comes from God. God is the author of truth. He gives us truth. And since God does not change, that truth does not change. Opinions change and, 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 and other things change. But truth is always truth. Don't let people rob you of that. Well, that's your truth, and this is my truth. No, you've you got words mixed up. That's your opinion and my opinion. But truth is always truth. And we can know that what was written so long ago for these people in such a desperate and hard time that they can know they have eternal life and that can never be taken from them is still true today in our day and time that we can know that we have eternal life. Why? Because I read it in the book. The book tells me it's so. We sing the song, Jesus loves me, this I know. Why? Because the Bible tells me so. It's a simple little song. Sometimes we get a little too old to sing that song, my friend. It's, but its truths are timeless. The Bible tells me that Jesus loves me and that Jesus died for me and that I can know. I can know. There's a lot of things I don't know in life. But one thing I do know is that I have eternal life because it's found in the person of Jesus Christ. As he writes this letter, again, he, he reminds us, he shifts from the second person in verse number 12, where he says, He that hath the Son hath life, he that hath not the Son of God hath not life, and, and, and to the first person. And again, verse number 13 suggests that we do not have uh, that, again, verse 13 does not merely continue to flow of thought from the previous verse. We have this idea that we have this life. If you have Jesus Christ, you have life. If you do not have Jesus Christ, you do not have life. My kids always make fun of me, and, and, and Ethan does this all the time. I would give the, we go to a stadium or an event, and I give the kids tickets. Hold on to this ticket, because if you lose this ticket, you can't get in. So last year at the stadium, Ethan, here, Dad, here's the ticket. Don't lose this ticket or you can't get in. <laughs> I thought, okay, I won't try to, uh, you know, lose my ticket as we go into the 
and to wherever we, we were going that day and time. If I have the ticket, I can get into the stadium. Well, my friend, I have Jesus Christ. That gives me eternal life because I have him. It's, it's not my life, but it's his life that's in me that gives me that eternal life. Without it, if I do not have Christ, you do not have life. And so salvation comes down to this simple thought, do I have Jesus Christ or, or not? And if I don't, then I don't have eternal life, and then I'm in trouble. If we go back to the first chapter of this book, chapter 1, verse number 4, these things write we unto you that your joy might be full. God wants us to have joy, and joy is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Again, he's writing, putting confidence in what has been written, the truth that we have here for us. Good evening, gentlemen. How are we all doing? Again, there's a strong parallel between what we see here in verse number 13 of, of chapter number 5 and what we find in John's gospel, chapter number 20, where he says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you have life in his name. So John, always in his gospel and in, and in, this, in these letters, is encouraging us that again, life can be had and it's something we know. And always be careful of groups or religions that tell you, you know, well, we don't know if you have eternal life. We hope and maybe possibly we're going to have it, but we're just going to have to wait and find out. Well, that's a scary scenario. Well, suppose I get there and I don't have it. Then what? I want to make sure I have it now. Years ago in high school, my friends wanted to go to an event and I said, we're going to go over this. Well, you guys got, we got tickets? No, no, we're going to go over there. Well, how are we getting in? Well, there'll be somebody out there selling tickets somewhere. Maybe we'll just take a chance. And, and, if, and then if not, we'll just hop the fence. Now, listen, I've done some crazy things back in the day, but I'm like, I ain't hopping no fence. I'm not going to jail. You know, I've hopped some fences in my time, but I, I, I'm not, I'm, you know. And we gotta, we're going to ride all the way over there, going to go to New York and, and hope there's a guy outside that we can get tickets from, and those tickets are legitimate. Because I've been given tickets back in the day that were not legitimate. <laughs> I've been arrested at a stadium by the state police because somebody had stolen tickets and they gave them to me. And I'm like, yay, what? And they come with us. <laughs> and I'm being dragged off to the office. And I threw my friend's father right under the bus. <laughs> Mr. Armenti, 321 Davis Avenue, uh, about this tall, black hair. You can't miss him. He's an Italian guy. He said, go, go, go get him. And so I wasn't going to jail for Mr. Armenti. <laughs> Trust me, I was 16 years old and scared to death. But I thought I had a ticket. That ticket was a bad ticket. By the way, they were nice about it. They said, yeah, you guys, these are stolen. It's not your fault. And then you guys can stay and watch the game. We're like, we go back to our seats. No, no, you guys are going to be way up there. Way, way. Um, and we were up in the end zone under where the word giant was. And like, like I think that's the game down there. And that's the game. But we got to stay. These things are written that you may know. And, it, and, it clear, and it's all clear throughout the, the Gospels and through our Bible that by believing, by believing, we can have the promise of eternal life. By believing on who? By believing on the Son of God. By believing on Jesus Christ. And God has guaranteed these blessings to Christians by giving them the pledge of how? The Holy Spirit. We went through this already, but in verses number 6 through through uh, 11, he talks about the record that we have, or the testimony we have, the witness that we have, that these things are true. You have this record that's been preserved. You have the witness of who? Well, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You have the witness of the Word of God. All these things witness to the fact that you can know these things. And this is truth. And again, John's uncompromising presentation of the truth is absolute. John is relentless in his attacks upon false teachers and letting us know that these false teachers are giving you a false Christ and, 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 and not much hope. But I am presenting to you Jesus whom I have felt and touched and handled and seen and I have heard the word of God come out of his mouth. And I know these things to be true. 
So the apostle assures them that, they, that if they pass this doctrinal test, they can have eternal life. Again, this is, the, this is basic Christianity. And every Christian ought to be, get assurance of their salvation. A young Christian will struggle, well, am I saved? Did I really mean it? Did I, did I have enough faith? Did I, did I pray hard enough? Well, my friend, those are all silly questions when you think about it. Because faith is not a weightlifting contest. If I, did, I really, did I really try? We've all seen those videos of guys in the gym where they're all trying to bench press that thing and people are screaming at him, come on! And, and the guy's struggling and they grab the bar and they're helping him up as he's trying to get that thing. Or you watch that one guy, you got some guy videotaping the guy getting crushed. Instead of helping him, he's videotaping the guy getting crushed as he's trying to get the bar off his chest. Well, that's not faith. Faith is not like lifting weights. Did you believe hard enough? I think I did. No, it's, it's believing. The size of the grain of a mustard seed is enough faith to give you salvation. It's putting faith in something. Listen, you all sat down in these chairs. You all exercised faith today, believing they're going to hold you up. And they've held you up. They've held up a lot of people for the last bunch of years around here. Nobody's ever collapsed in these chairs here. We may have sat in some chairs that didn't hold us up, especially those plastic yard chairs. I always get leery around those things with the legs starting. It's like, here, I ain't sitting in this thing because I'm, I'm going down. So those are always nervous. Nervous. You get in your car today. You drove here thinking your brakes are going to stop when you want to stop. You put faith in a lot of things that really maybe shouldn't put faith in. But we can put faith in the Word of God. And faith is simply, I believe what God says. I believe who Jesus Christ is. I believe the gospel, that he died and he was buried and he rose again and he took my place on Calvary's cross. I believe that. Eternal life is to know Jesus Christ, who himself is eternal. And he wants to share his life with us. He says, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. It's his life, and he's giving it to us. I have eternal life. You want it? Yeah, well, you can have it. It's for you. It's for all those who will ask it. So again, this gospel, as he's presenting it here, again, it's, it's a present confidence we have. Eternal life is not something I have later on. Eternal life is something that I have now. I, I possess eternal life now. And Jesus promised that death can never touch me. Death can never get its hands on me. Because I have eternal life in me. And although I may die, I am not suffering the physical or the spiritual death. Death itself is not taking me, but God is taking me. So we can have this promise of eternal life. Again, these things have I written that you may know. That you may know if you believe upon him, you have eternal life. Well, how do you know you have eternal life? Because Jesus told me so. Jesus promised me. And since Jesus cannot lie, and, and I've believed, he's given me eternal life. Because again, going back to the why this book was written, the purpose of it is to let the Christians know of the false theology which was teaching that Jesus didn't come to give you eternal life. Jesus came to give you a better spiritual understanding and how to have this higher elevated thought process and all this other foolishness, all this other spiritualism that really doesn't amount to anything. I've met people, uh, here's, the here's a gospel track. It'll tell you how you can know Christ and how you can have eternal life. Well, I'm a, I'm a spiritual person. Well, what exactly does that even mean? That's a, that's a fuzzy, vague statement. What do you mean you're spiritual? Define that for me. And, and, and it could mean anything. It's, it's open to all kinds of ideas. I'm not spiritual. I'm a Christian. <laughs> and as a Christian, I, I try to please my Savior. Now, he gives us a, a second thing that we need to have confidence in. And this is the idea of prayer. These are basic fundamentals in our Christian walk. Why do I pray? Well, I'm praying so God hears me and God will answer me. I, I'm not praying just to hope it, you know, something sticks. I want to pray with confidence. We all go to a restaurant. And, and I was at a restaurant recently. Somebody here 
for our, my birthday gave me a gift card to uh, the Cheesecake Factory. So Renee and I went there one night and I ordered a steak Diane. I said, this looks pretty good. It came out, it was a sirloin steak. And the waiter came over and said, That's, you didn't order, you ordered the steak Diane. I said, it's fine. This is good. Well, we're going to charge you for the steak Diane price since that's, this steak's more, but we're going to give you the cheaper thing. I said, whatever you got to do. This, 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 this is good. I'm, I got bumped up to the higher grade, amen, which I didn't mind. And so, but you know, you ask, and she was a little, I hate to say this, but she was, God love her, amen. She just, just messed up a lot of things, this dear girl. Must have been, she had a bad day. But I don't mind. You know, we all have bad days. I don't yell at waiters. I don't write bad reviews. I don't give them bad tips. It's, the tip is always the same, always 20%, and I always try to help them be an encouragement to people. But I got the wrong thing. I asked for something, and I was given the wrong thing. Well, when I go to God, I trust God to help me in my prayers to give me what I've asked for. Now, again, my prayers... And how I pray ought to line up with the will of God. And this is what he's trying to teach us here. And this is the confidence. Again, confidence. We can, be, we can know, we can be assured that if we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask him, we know that we have the petition that we desired of him. To pray according to God's will, first of all, assumes, first of all, that we're saved. Because, again, God is not obligated to answer the prayer of an unsaved person. The only prayer that God will ever hear of an unsaved person is, Lord, save me. And God answers that prayer. God wants to save people. But God is under no obligation to answer the prayers of anybody else except his children. God wants to hear his children pray and ask. But our prayers must be according to his will. Years ago, back in the 80s, when cable TV became very big. And I remember how excited we were that we're getting cable and car. And you're like, yeah, we're getting cable. It's going to be awesome. And we're getting, you got that box next to your thing. You used to press buttons and flip the lever. Man, we got 40 channels, which is a big deal from having five channels or whatever it was. And, and UHF, if you can you know, fix that and get boxing from Mexico and you get it just right, amen. <laughs> we got boxing from Mexico tonight, right? And so then we got cable, we're all bouncing around in that thing, listening to cable and watching cable. And uh, we're excited about that. But the televangelists became into popularity in the 80s. And, and those who, the charlatans hit it big. Men like Jim and his wife, Tammy Faye Baker. They, were, they, they started the, that whatever club it was. And, and, and it was phony Christianity. It was fake Christianity. And, and, and Jim Baker would tell you, you know, you just got to pray and God will give you whatever you want. Just pray. You want a green Cadillac? Ask God for a green Cadillac and God will give you a green Cadillac. And Christians are out there playing, oh, God. And, and, and like God's a genie. Just, if we just rub our Bible enough, God is, boom, going to give us what we ask for. Well, that's not prayer, my friend. That's not what God's talking about. Prayer must be according to the will of God and what God wants for your life, not what you want for your life because what you want is sometimes messed up. And God's not going to give you messed up stuff. God will give you according to his will. You say, well, that's really not answering my prayer. Yes, it is. Because, again, if we serve God and we live for God and know him, then God will give us that. Listen, as a boy, my friends all had dirt bikes. They're you know, going on the meadows. They're flying. Ma, I want a dirt bike. No. Everybody else has one. Everybody else doesn't have one. What do you mean? You don't have one. Therefore, everybody else doesn't have one. So I didn't get a dirt bike. It's not fair. I want a dirt bike. Everybody else is riding around the meadows and, and, and zooming on dirt bikes. So you're not getting a dirt bike. You break your neck and kill yourself. And, I'm not, and my mom hated motorcycles and, and uh, didn't want us having dirt bikes. So I, I didn't get a dirt bike. I was deprived. It affected me. I'm, I'm, I'm mentally unstable today because I was so abused by my mother who didn't give me what I wanted. probably a good thing she didn't give me a dirt bike, amen, because I probably would have broke my neck flying around there being as stupid as I was on a regular bike. I can't imagine we with a motor because we did some crazy things on bicycles. We took our bike and threw it up on top of the backstop of the 
Gunnell Oval down there and like riding our bike off the top of the, trying to land on first baseline and see who can make it to first base and who can jump off the furthest. And I'm thinking, no wonder I'm falling apart today. No wonder they're replacing body parts on me right now. I, the stupid of, of being 10 years old has caught up to me. So mom didn't give me a dirt bike. I asked for a lot of things. Ma, I want this. No. Oh, come on, Ma. Ma, I want this. No, you can't have that either. Mom deprived me of a lot of things because she knew they would be bad for me. But my friend, God doesn't ask what we want. He, asks, he gives us what we need and what is beneficial for us and what will bring honor and glory to him. And this is how the Christian ought to be praying. And this is mature praying. Again, we would give our kids, what do you want for Christmas? Here's a, here's a catalog, and they, Ethan would come back basically with the whole book circled, and here, I want this. But every now and then, he grew up, he circled different things. We'd, okay, we can't have that, and you can this, and, and we give them certain things that they wanted for Christmas. Well, sometimes we may go to God like that. Here, God, I want this. And God's like, no, you can't have that. That's not good for you. It'll ruin you. <laughs> It'll ruin you. It's not good for you. Look at John chapter number 15, if you will. John's gospel, not John's. Keep your finger here. Our Lord taught us this in the business of praying. Again, we want to pray right. We want to ask and, and, and pray so that we know God will answer us. And that God will give us what it is what we want. Now again, you praying for your friend to be saved, is that the will of God? Yes. Yes, that's a, that's a good prayer. For you to grow spiritually, for your, Jesus said in, a, in the model prayer, what? Lord, give us this day our what? Daily bread. I can pray for daily food. I can ask God to feed me on a daily basis. I can trust God to answer that prayer and give me what I need. He told, Jesus said, you know, if you, you being evil, give your children good things, how much more shall your heavenly father give you good things? What father, if a son asks for bread, does he give him a stone? Well, no, no. a father will give his son bread if he needs bread. Well, God will answer our prayers and give us what we need in our life. In John chapter number 15, he says in verse number 7, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. And here is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so ye shall be my disciples. Again, Jesus is making the case here and, and, and emphasizing what is being said, that we, 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 if we abide in him, we're saved, we can ask and go to him in prayer and ask for something, and we can have the confidence that God will give us what we've asked for. But it's the idea that his words abide in us, that I know what God wants. There were things I knew my mother wouldn't in a million years give me, like that dirt bike. First of all, my mother didn't have the money to buy a dirt. Mom, give me $1,500 so I can go buy a, a, a Yamaha. Uh, and listen, no. My mom's struggling to put food on the table. She's not going to buy me a $1,500 motorcycle. I'm lucky I got the $30 Ross bike, amen, which was an awesome bike. Still mad my mother gave it to my cousin, but that's another story for another time. But I couldn't kill that bike, amen. I tried, but I just couldn't kill them Ross bikes with a banana seat and sissy bar. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, but you were cool back in the day if you had one of them bad boys. <laughs> now, some of those kids had the tall sissy bar. Man, that's, those, kids, those are the kids with money. Like, that kid's got money. Look at that. He's got the, I only got the low sissy bar here. That's back when you could say sissy bar, not have to worry about anybody thinking anything about you. Now, I'm sorry, young people. This is the old people convention right now. All the old people are, 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 are remembering things here right now. It's going to be like, what? And by the way, you didn't, you didn't live until you took a clothespin and a baseball card and stuck it in the spokes and went flying down the street with that thing. So what are you talking about? That's just old stuff, amen? Now, so I wanted that bike, but Mom wouldn't give me that dirt bike. Mom couldn't afford the dirt bike. But I'm going to God. And there's nothing out of the realm with my God. But I want to make sure that my prayers are in the will of God. I want to make sure that what I'm praying can be found in the word of God. I want my prayer to line up with what God has already said. Is this something you can ask for? And, and, and I'll be pleased in giving it to you. And, I, and I'll do this for you. 
You may be praying for a spouse. And you see some guy or girl out there, Lord, I'd like to have them. And God's like, well, they're not even saved. So I'm not going to give them to you. <laughs> I'm not going to work on their heart because they're not even a Christian. So you're praying out of the will of God. But somebody's lined up and, 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 and Lord of God, you can pray for a spouse. You know, the Bible says, he that findeth a wife findeth what? Good thing. A young man in church one time, he's all depressed, all discouraged. He's all, he wanted a wife, wasn't getting one. Pastor, who can find a virtuous woman, Pastor? I was busy working. God can. And went back to work, amen? <laughs> God can give you one of those. Have you asked him for one? I've asked. Well, just wait. He knows where you are. And maybe God's trying to get you fixed up so you're worthy of having a virtuous wife. And you ladies, just be patient. Maybe there's some guy out there that God will give you, but God's banging the dents out of his fender and straighten him up so he's worthy of you. God knows where you are. Can God prepare a table in the wilderness? God's good. Listen, God can give me a wife. It's open doors for everybody. Amen? God convinced that girl. And the uh, best thing that ever happened to her. Now, hello, this thing on? Thank you. Somebody, somebody's awake out there. <laughs> we go to, so again, we, we go back to John's epistle. The letter he wrote there, look at what he says in John chapter number 3, this idea of prayer and praying and in the will of God. In John chapter 3 and verse number 21, Beloved, if our hearts condemn us not, then we have the confidence towards God. That idea that if our hearts condemn us not, as a Christian, I want to make sure my life is right. I want to make sure that I'm pleasing to God. The Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord, what, will not hear me. So I want to make sure that I'm, if I'm right with God, and I'm striving to please God the best I can, it doesn't mean I'm sinless or I don't mess up every day, but I'm simply saying I'm, I'm walking in the will of God and trying to please Him. I have confidence, verse 22, that whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Again, this is my life. I'm walking with God. I'm trying to please God. And, and I can go to God, my father, and say, Father, this is what I want. And God says, well, there's Matt. Matt's been, Matt's been good. And Matt's been trying to serve me. And Matt's been faithful. And, and what does Matt need today? And I can have confidence in my prayer life going to God and asking him what it is that I need. And listen, by the way, God will answer prayer when, we, we, when it's needed. I mean, I remember one time I had some four bull tires on my old Chevy Caprice. I'm going down Route 3, about to merge with 46, and the road was wet, and, and I hit the brakes because everybody was stopped. Next thing, my car started skidding because I was riding on banana skins. And I'm like, this is where you do that really quick praying. As you grab the wheel, grit your teeth, Dear Jesus, please make me stop. And, like, oh, thank you, Lord, for taking care of me. I have to get new tires. I need money for tires. Jesus said, did you ask me for tires? I said, no, I've never asked you for one. Did you ask me for tires? I don't know. <laughs> well, ask me for tires. Lord, can I have tires? I'll give you tires. God gave me tires. I got the money. from Somebody just gave me some money one day, and I went and bought four new tires for my car. You have not because you ask not. I can go to God in prayer and ask Him. One of the things I don't have is because I'm not asking. God want me to have banana skins on my car? No. <laughs> Does God want me to ride around careless and, and crashing? No. God will not want me, my car to be taken care of. Again, it's not a green Cadillac. It was an old Chevy Caprice that I really loved. It was a good car, amen? You couldn't kill that thing. So right up there with the Crown Vic, amen? That was a good car too. Pulled up in Patterson one time, dressed like this. Pulled up that Caprice, had my sunglasses on, pulled up to go visit somebody. There's a group of teenagers standing there. They all stopped, looked at me. I looked at them. Next thing, they took off running. Amen. <laughs> I thought I was a narc. Amen. <laughs> and so I had fun with that car. Tried to get killed either, but God took care of me. Now, believers, Ethan, remember, we went to school one time. I pulled over on the side road fix something and I noticed I'm pulled off on the side there and all these cars coming down the road all started slowing down 
because they saw that crown Vic there. So I just sat there, took my hands like this with my sunglasses on. <laughs> Every car slowed down as they came by, thinking I was, had the radar gun on them. I said, you can't do that. We did. A little bit of fun. And then we had to, after about seven cars, we took off and left before the cops really showed up. It's like, Lord, get me out of here now. Again, the Lord's promise is that he affirms that whatsoever we ask in his name, he'll do it for us. We need to pray. Again, we're going to God in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and asking our Father for the things that we need in our life when we're obedient and we delight in the Word of God. The psalmist says, again, that if we uh, delight ourselves in the Lord, we have the, the desire that we've asked. But we have to delight ourselves in the Lord. That means love his Word and love him, and God will... Answer the prayers, the petitions, as John is encouraging the Christian to pray, that we have this confidence that if we ask anything in Him, according to His will, He hears us. And listen, if we're asking in the will of God, He says He hears us. In verse 15, chapter 5, and we know that if He hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petition that we desired of Him. Understand that powerful thought. That, my friend, God says if he hears our prayers, he's going to answer our prayers. Well, when's God going to answer? In his time and when it, according to his will, because he knows what, when best to give it to us. But if we're praying in the will of God, God heard it, he's going to answer. That's a promise. Sometimes we hear our kids ask, and we say, well, they ain't, they ain't getting that. And they, and they let our... But God promised that if you're, you're praying, you can have confidence that you've prayed in my will and you've asked me. I've heard you. Just rest assured, the answer will come. I will give it to you. When we're obedient and we delight ourselves in God, God will answer us. Now, in verse 16... There seems to be what may be a shift here in, in what he's told. But it all goes the same thing with prayer. If any man see his brother sin, a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he should pray for it. This text here addresses a problem that occurs when a believer observes other believers sinning. And we don't like to see people sinning, but we do it. We, we'll, we'll notice somebody doing something. And it, it would do us well to go to the Christian and say, listen, what you're doing is wrong, and, and you should, shouldn't do that. Now, John is writing, and he never says what a sin unto death is. But apparently these Christians knew what was going on. They knew what John was talking about, this idea of a sin that a Christian can commit unto death. It doesn't mean they lose their salvation. It simply means that God is going to... Take a Christian out. We see Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts lying to the Holy Spirit of God. And they were believers, by the way, and God removed them. God took them out. And a Christian can sin. Let me tell you a very tragic story. I was with somebody one night, and we're sitting in the, in the restaurant, and they're like, I need to talk to you about something very serious. And, they, and long story short, they were basically dating another man's wife. And that the marriage was having problems, but he was dating this other man's wife. And he's like, I really like her, and I really want her, and I'm really pursuing her. What do you think? I said, well, the Bible says, and he got mad, right? He cut me off, and he got real mad. He said, I don't care what the Bible says or what God says. I want to know what you think. And, and right there at that moment, this great fear came over me of what was just said. I'm thinking, you, you can't say that. You can't, you're a Christian. You can't be thinking that way. Your whole line of thought is out of action. That's sin. That's wrong. And what you just said about don't care what God says. I, I was fearful for him. And he went and pursued this girl. It didn't work out well. But let me just say this. A year and a half, over a year later, he died. He got cancer just a month later and died. A year later. 
You say, well, well, did God do it? I don't know. All I know is that when those words were uttered in that restaurant that night, this, this incredible grieving of the Holy Spirit of God came over me. That a Christian could utter such words. There's a sin unto death. And John is encouraging us to pray for one another, pray for our brothers and sisters who are sinning, that they'll stop sinning, that their life will be changed. In 1 Corinthians, he talks about the church and how they were abusing the Lord's Supper. And what happened to them? There were many among them who were what? Sick. And some were what? Sleeping or died. God had moved in. You're abusing this. You're, 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 this is wrong. And God had touched them physically. The man in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 who was committing fornication, he said, turn his body over to Satan for destruction of the flesh. He's not saying he's going to lose his salvation, but God is going to let Satan touch his body, just like Satan touched Job's body. Touch his body. Maybe that'll wake him up and get him back to stop committing this wicked fornication that he's committing. We don't like this part of Christianity. We don't, you know, God loves us. It's all wonderful. But no, God is a righteous father. And when he sees his children sinning, he will deal with them. He will correct them. And sometimes God will say, you know what? You're not being corrected. I'm taking you home prematurely. And many a Christian has gone home prematurely because they wouldn't stop their sin and what they were doing. So if we see our brother sin, again, one does not have to look hard and to scrutinize uh, to observe a believing a believer sinning we can see it no that's not right that's that you shouldn't be doing that i'm not talking about where you mess up and you say a bad word every now and then i'm not talking we're talking about a, a lifestyle doing something every day that you know is contrary to the word of god and the spirit of god has convicted you about it and you just plowing forward with re no regard to what god thinks that's the what we're referring to here, not that you had a bad thought or you got mad on the Jersey Turnpike with somebody or, or you, you, you messed up somewhere along the line. No, this is a lifestyle of, I don't care, I'm going to keep doing this. Now, the man in 1 Corinthians chapter number 5 who was committing a fornication with his, either his mother or his stepmother, in 2 Corinthians we learn got his life straightened up and stopped doing what he was doing and got things together and was back in fellowship with the church. So there is restoration after we sin, praise the Lord. But when we refuse to listen, there's a problem. And when he says, don't pray for somebody to die, but pray for them, that they'll stop doing what they're doing. So what should a believer do when he observes other believers sinning? Should we post it on Facebook? Should we call up and, and, and let everybody in church know? It may be necessary to report a sinning Christian to the proper authorities in church. But my friend, it's always necessary to pray for that sinner, that Christian who's sinning. Father, I saw so-and-so today. And what I saw, I may be mistaken, but it didn't look good. Father, please help them. Help my Christian brother who's sinning that they'll stop. You may see a, sin, a Christian doing something you know is wrong, that the Bible says is wrong. Pray for them. That's your first goal is to pray and, and go to the Father and pray for them. Not God, get them, but God, straighten them out, help them to stop. That they'll, they'll, they'll get right. So we don't want to see anybody getting hurt. And by the way, God necessarily doesn't always have to hurt somebody. Sin has its own price tag that God has nothing to do with. You do A, B may happen. You keep living like this, this may happen to you. And there's all kinds of sin just has bad results. I took a young man one night. He was committing, he was again, he was committing gross sin, all kinds of gross sin. I grabbed him and threw him in my car. I took him down to the cemetery one night and I said, you see this, this is, this is, this is, this is where you're heading. This is where your life is taking you. Right now you're too stupid to understand it, you're, you're enjoying your sin too much, you're, you're doing all this wickedness, and I won't list all the sins he was guilty of, but he was proudly promoting his sin all over the avenue while he claiming to be a Christian attending church. I said, this is where you're headed. 
This is where your life is going to end up. You're going to be here soon if you don't stop. You say, where's he at in that preacher? He's in the cemetery. That's where he's at because sin has a price tag. So maybe God didn't kill him, but he, sin will catch up to you. You put enough drugs, alcohol, and all kinds of other stuff into you, just bad things will happen to you. So I prayed for him. I tried to warn him. I tried to encourage him. He wouldn't listen to anything I had to say. So again, we, he tells us in verse number 17 that all unrighteousness is sin. There are degrees of some sin. Some sins are worse than others. This does not justify lesser sins. However, this text is a warning. It says that God has limits. We always like to talk about God's mercy and God's long-suffering, but God's long-suffering comes to an end. God told Noah to build the boat. And for 110 years, Noah built a boat, and he was preaching the entire time he was building that boat. And God was long-suffering towards everybody. But what happened to God's long-suffering? It had an end. And God told Noah, get in the boat, and God closed the door, and the long-suffering of God came to an end. And God brought the rain. It has an end. And as a Christian, I don't know, well, where's the end of it? Let me, let me hang out near the edge of that. I want to stay away from it. I want to get as close to God as possible. I don't want to keep testing God's long-suffering in my life. Again, Matt? Again? What are you doing? And God is saying, Matt, come on. We're going home. All unrighteousness is sin, but there are, again, there, you stole a pencil from work. Well, again, I don't think that's as bad as committing adultery. It doesn't have the same price tag. It doesn't have the same consequences. Still not right, but it's, you understand the adultery is a far worse sin that's been committed. Again, God is long-suffering, but again, some believers can be taken home early. Again, as a child, well, a child who's disobedient, we receive correction from our parents. Why? Because they loved us and they wanted us to stop doing what we were doing. And so it is with God. God corrects us. So in these verses, he's talking about verses 14 through 17 have to deal with prayer and how God wants us to pray. And one thing, we can pray for the things we need according to the will of God, but also I'm to pray for my Christian brothers and sisters who are sinning and, and not doing right. And I'm generally going to God, God, please help them. God, please straighten them out. Is there something I can do to help them? Or what do you want me to do? Not, do you see so-and-so? Do you go, no. no. My, my job is to pray and help them to stop doing what they're doing. Now, again, I'll close out very quickly. Time is running late. We have a third thing, and I'm going, to, I'm going very quickly. Verse 18. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that believe, begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. As a Christian... My, the part of me that's saved does not sin. Now again, my flesh sins, but this new man inside of me does not sin. We Remember the illustration we used a month or so ago with Joe up here, where Joe was the new man and I was the old man. The new man does not sin. I've been saved now. Again, sin is incompatible with my new nature. They will not work together. And by the way, the wicked one, he says, toucheth him not. Because I'm saved now. Satan can't get a hold of me. I belong to God. Satan cannot possess me. People say, well, a Christian can be possessed. No, a Christian cannot be possessed by Satan or a demon. You're possessed by the Holy Spirit of God, and he's got a sign on the front door that says no occupancy. He's the only one getting in there. But you can be oppressed, but you can't be possessed. Number four, we belong to God, and we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. We belong to God. There's two people in this world. There's God's people, and then there's everybody else. And can I encourage you, when you look at this world and how crazy it's getting, understand the Bible says the whole world lieth in wickedness. Satan is the, is the 
prince and power of the air. He's the, he runs this place right now. If you wonder why it's going so crazy, it's just because the whole world lies in wickedness. I don't like it. I get upset with all that's going on out there. I get upset with the music industry. I see how perverted and godless these people are. My soul, can they get any more crazier out there? I don't watch any of those award shows. I'm a bunch of narcissists. How many awards can they give themselves? By the way, the most useless people on planet Earth, by the way. They haven't saved the world because they sung a song. Doctors, lawyers, and teachers, and preachers, and everybody else is far more valuable than them people. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I love so-and-so. He's so wonderful. He's done nothing for you. Absolutely nothing for you. And that goes for you Swifties out there, too. Now, all right, the whole world lies in wickedness. And finally, the third thing, we'll close out, verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come, and he hath given unto us understanding that we may know him that is true, and that we are him that is true, even his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. The fact of the matter is John closes out this book reminding the believer that they have the true Christ. He uses that word true here several times in there. verse 20. This is true. At the end of verse number 20, he says the true God. What God do you have? You want to have the true God, the real God that's found in this book. And know him. And this way you keep yourself from idols. Keep yourself from loving anything that will make you, that will take you away from God. I want to love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul. I want to love him more than anything. And when I have him, I can get through this world with all its crazies out there. So again, John closes out with those five thoughts, these five things to encourage the believers in their walk with him. Let's stand together for prayer. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your goodness and mercy. We thank you for Christ who loved us and died on Calvary's cross to pay for our sins and give us eternal life. And Lord, we've been warned, we've been instructed, we've read some things, Lord, that may be difficult for us to understand at this point in time in our Christian walk. But Lord, they're still true nonetheless. Help us to mature, to grow into the knowledge of understanding them, that we may apply them to our lives. Bless this time and this hour now. For we